This is the Impact Report. I'm your host, Katie Elman. The Impact Report brings together students and faculty in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, social entrepreneurship, and more. These conversations go live the first and third Friday of each month. This week, I'm joined by Bard MBA's Lindsay Strange, and we're speaking with Deb Johnson, founder and executive director of the Brooklyn Fashion and Design Accelerator. So Deb, I'm really excited to be speaking with you because I've been following along online uh, with the Brooklyn Fashion Design Accelerator since its beginning. Uh, And I was lucky enough to take a tour of your space a few years ago, and I was really blown away by the resources that you're providing to design entrepreneurs um, and the energy and excitement and sense of possibility for sustainability and fashion that was evident uh, when I walked in the door. And I'm a fashion design professional and educator, and I've aspired to start a similar type of organization in the Twin Cities uh, where I live. And that's probably what motivated me to get my MBA from Bard College. So I'm really excited to share more about what you do and how the BFDA came to be. I'm excited to be here and uh, sharing more of the story and so glad you've been into the space and, and have been inspired by the space. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I when it popped up in my online feed, I was just like, wow, <laughs> I've been waiting for a space <laughs> like this. Uh, so, um, so yeah, for, just to start out, for those who might be unfamiliar, can you talk about what the Brooklyn Fashion Design Accelerator is? So the Brooklyn Fashion and Design Accelerator, we call it the BFDA for short. Um, is a hub for ethical fashion. And I think there are kind of three things that we're really focused on doing. One is redefining the fashion industry um, around the uh, environment and society. So we're, we're very concerned with the impacts of the industry on the planet and on people. And, um, and so we have a uh, business accelerator. So we're working with emerging design firms, helping them not only achieve financial success and stability, but uh, alongside that, it's called triple bottom line uh, thinking or assessment that you're, you're, you're looking at how you're reducing your impacts and ensuring that you're using an ethical uh, labor force and those sorts of things. So that's one aspect of what we do. Then we have a production facility that's open to any, uh, mostly their New York City, designers. So our our goal with our production facility is to be a local resource for sustainable production um, and really help educate designers about how to implement uh, strategies around efficiencies and sustainable supply chains. And then the third thing, and probably the the newest part of what we're doing, is really uh, becoming a research and design center for the integration of technology into smart garments and functional textiles, but most importantly, with this idea of sustainability alongside it. Sustainability can, I'm sorry, innovation uh, can really sort of take off like a a horse, you know, just uh, people get very excited about new things. What we've forgotten to do is to remember to think about uh, the environment, to think about the kind of labor we're producing as we create these innovations. And so the BFDA is very committed to having that dual conversation between that connects essentially sustainability and technology as uh, innovation moves forward. Oh, that's really exciting. Um, I definitely want to ask you a little bit more about the technology piece uh, sure. later in the interview. Um, so 
while we're on the kind of introduction of the VFTA, can you tell us a little bit about your professional background and what led you to create the, the VFTA? Um, so my professional background is I was an uh, industrial design student at Pratt Institute. I eventually started teaching design in that program, ultimately became chair of that program. And it was when I was confronted by, you know, 350 students who were all going to go out there and make stuff and put things out into the world that I realized that I had a real responsibility to make sure that they were aware of the consequences of the things that they were designing. So my background's not really fashion, but it's definitely design. And during that time, it was back in 2002, I started uh, what was called the Pratt Design Incubator, and that was part of the industrial design program at Pratt. And then uh, eventually over the years, one, uh, I stepped down as chair of the department and created the Center for Sustainable Design Strategies to really focus on sustainability, um, the academic, uh, creating the academic resource for sustainability for the entire institute. Um, and then the Pratt Design Incubator rebranded as the Brooklyn Fashion and Design Accelerator as we enlarged our space and really wanted to reach out not just to the Pratt community, but to the entire design community in New York City. So. As you've gotten up and running, um, mm -hmm. how has the vision, like as you kind of shifted into this new brand, how has the um, the space evolved and changed over time? Like has it's become more fashion oriented? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. When during the time it was the Pratt Design Incubator, I had one of our, our we call them incubees at that point, was <laughs> uh, came to me and said, you know, Deb, I can't afford success. And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, well, I, I just got an order from Barney's for 50 pieces of my product, which is really exciting, but it's too many for me to produce myself, and I can't find somebody to produce them for me at a price where I'm going to make any money. I'll lose money on the whole deal. So it, I can't, you know, I'm sort of between a rock and a hard place. And so that was the time when I, I realized, ah, this is a resource that young designers need. In order to cross that barrier to scale, you have to not produce your own products. You have to sort of get off the sewing machine um, and find other people and resources to make your product, but at the same time, um, find that at a price that is uh, reasonable so you, there's some sort of margin there so you can make some money. So that's when I realized that what we really needed to attach to uh, what became the, the VFDA was a production facility that not only helped people do small run production, but helped them to do it in a more uh, sustainable way. Awesome. Yeah, I hear that a lot as um, someone who also teaches design students, mm -hmm. like those that try to be entrepreneurial. I see a lot of them start out in their living room <laughs> and then kind of fizzle out because they don't quite know how to bridge that gap. So, Well, it's really hard exciting. to learn to be a designer as an educator. You know how much work it is for, mm -hmm. for a person to really develop into a good designer. And then to, to develop business skills alongside that, um, that's asking a lot. And so often designers don't develop the business skills unless they're mm -hmm. sort of naturally inclined that way. And that's really where the accelerator um, is important because what it's doing is working with designers and helping them build those skills alongside what, what we feel when we accept somebody into the program is a really brilliant idea and marketable idea. 
Okay. Well, that leads nicely to my next question, which is, um, you know, I saw that you have venture fellows and research fellows. So first, mm -hmm. I'm kind of curious what the difference between them is, and then also what do you look for uh, when you accept both of them? So the, we started with the venture fellows. That's where, you know, really working with people who had great ideas, perhaps even had uh, a product that they were out there marketing and, and trying to sell, um, but were not particularly successful uh, doing so. So the the one side is the venture fellow side, and that's more, the more commercial side of, of of the accelerator. So what we're doing is working with these young businesses and, and helping them understand uh, what they need to be doing kind of on a day-to-day -day basis to build their business and, and develop those skills. Designers are amazingly smart. Once they understand what they need to do, uh, they mm -hmm. really go after it and go for it. But often the, the biggest hurdle is just not knowing kind of where to start. Uh, and so we help give them perspective there. On the other mm -hmm. side of it is the research fellows, and those are people who don't have commercializable ideas but are actually researching and discovering and trying to find essentially something that will ultimately turn into a product. So they're not even early stage. They're, they're, they're working on kind of creating new materials or new ways of doing things and uh, uh, with the intention of it ultimately leading to uh, a product that gets commercialized. So as you help, um, I guess, either of them with their ideas, how do you help them integrate sustainability and ethical production into their businesses? I think it's one of the big differentiators of the DFDA. You have a lot of accelerators that are, you know, working on financial success and marketing. But what we do is mentor around sustainability from the start. Even though these are small companies, they don't have a big impact. They will ultimately, if they scale and become successful, um, they will start to have an, more of an impact. Um, and there are certain things with sustainability. If you're working in small scale, there are fewer things that you can do. I mean, you can examine your packaging. Um, you can look somewhat to your materials. But it's as you scale that you really are able to um, look at reducing impact. And so what we do is create, um, for people who are in business, they'll be familiar with the technology roadmap. We help them create a sustainability roadmap that looks mm -hmm. five years out, tracks essentially their goals and what they're trying to do with their products, and then aligns sort of sustainability strategies and practices along that arc as and when they're able to be implemented, um, as again, as they scale up. Great. Um, so you're giving them tools to move Absolutely. forward with. I really like that. Um, cool. Well, that um, I know you have a sustainability roadmap tool that you also offer. So I'm curious mm -hmm. if you could tell us a little bit more about that and who it's aimed at. Sure. So the, the, the sustainability uh, roadmap tool is an online platform that allows people to really dig into, I think there are about 50 strategies in the strategy wheel um, that we use. And so, you know, it, it looks at materials, it looks at manufacturing, it looks at distribution, it looks at use of the product, it looks at uh, what happens at the end of life, it examines kind of bringing innovation, innovative uh, ideas to the fore. 
And so uh, it's, a, it's a way to structure your own conversation around sustainability. So, for example, my issue, other than ethical labor, which I think should be everybody's issue, and just, a, you know, everybody should be making sure that the people who are making their product are being, being treated well, are in safe factories, and have some quality of life and equitable, equitable pay. But, uh, but for me, other than that issue, water is a big issue for me. So when I'm looking to do something, I'm always looking for strategies that are going to reduce the water use um, in the products that I'm using. So I might choose a material that uses less water in the growing process or as it's being processed, or I might use natural dyes that don't pollute water the way the toxic dyes do. Um, I might uh, try to find uh, strategies so things don't have to be laundered as well as much or it can be laundered um, in a different way so it doesn't use as much water. A lot of people don't realize how much water the fashion industry actually uses. So a single T-shirt uses about 700 gallons of water getting from nothing to the T-shirt that you buy. And then you'll, you'll add another 700 gallons easily as you're washing the T-shirts. And so um, there are strategies along the way, and you can make choices um, that will help mitigate the water use, or if your issue is toxicity or energy use or um, other types of things, recyclability, you, you can focus in and find the strategies that are going to help you um, do that, incorporate that into your particular product. And that's what the tool is, um, is used for, is, is to really help you understand these 50 strategies aligned along the life cycle that can um, help you dig into it. I always say, you know, that sustainability comes at you like a tidal wave. It's so complex. You, you, I know when I first started encountering it, I was going, just no way. It's just too much to take on. Um, <laughs> there's no way, no way we can do this. And, you know, my inclination was just uh, when you see a tidal wave is to turn and run. And then I said, no, I've got to hang in there. And I've got to dig in, and I just started digging in. And I think that's the the moment um, that people need to take, designers in particular, is to say, okay, it's complex. I'm just going to start, and I'm going to learn, you know, one thing at a time. And suddenly you, you end up with this huge amount of knowledge. It was a surprise to me to kind of be able to turn around and, and talk quite broadly about impacts and things that you can do. And that's only because I, I kind of hung in there and let myself learn over time. And that's what this tool is for. It's, it's, it's all the knowledge that we've accumulated over the past 15 years in a format that's very digestible for designers in, picture, in particular, very visual, lots of case studies, lots of examples. Um, it's, I think the favorite part uh, for me is um, it asks you, it, it tells you the question you, you need to ask or you need to ask your design team about um, a particular um, strategy that you're interested in. So it really guides you through the conversation. At the same time, it's, uh, it's rich with information that you can dig into. So we're really, really proud of what we've put together because of its, you know, it's very comprehensive and very accessible. Well, that sounds like an amazing tool, and I'm really glad that you've 
uh, use your knowledge to be able to share with the industry that way. I wish there were, I hope there are more people doing that kind of thing. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, we're only going to get there if everybody kind of mm-hmm. like comes on board and, and, and starts to take this journey. And so, yeah. and, and I, I have to say we're, I in particular, but I think every everyone on my team, we really feel that education is, is a huge part of what we need to be doing. Definitely. Yeah, I really like the idea of being able to break down this huge topic that can be so paralyzing. Like you feel yeah. like you're such a small player that you don't know what you can even do. Yeah, and, be able and a lot of things, you know, there are, yeah, and there are, excuse me for interrupting, but, but the, okay. there are a lot of um, trade-offs that you have to make. You may You may choose a strategy that uses less water, but it's going to require more energy, and that's where the complexity comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, you really have to navigate it in a way, and that's where we feel that the best thing you can do is really understand, you know, what issue environmentally is most important to you, and and then you start to um, be able to kind of dig in and, and make choices based on where you're coming from. Yeah, I had a strategy class this last spring, and we talked a lot about needing to have a very consistent strategy and knowing mm-hmm. how to make those hard choices because you can't do everything. So that's really great that you're teaching entrepreneurs that from the start. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I know in my, um, this kind of is a similar topic, but leading um, from my experience in the industry and also, again, working with, with small brands, um, they face this, especially those that work in sustainable and ethical apparel, they face this consumer reluctance to spend more money on clothes, even mm-hmm. when consumers, you know, start to understand that environmental and ethical implications of their fast fashion. Um, it's really hard to convince people sometimes to buy <laughs> or value the product. And so how do you help entrepreneurs navigate that landscape? Well, I think, you know, their their values are, are pretty well stated out front. They're the people who are going to be interested in their products or are, are going to be interested in the product for um, what it what it is before they're perhaps interested in the environmental message. But, you know, their, their fashion is so, especially I would say the apparel industry, is so um, price conscious and margin conscious. And, you know, you've got fast fashion kind of beating down the price of, of what we expect clothing to cost. Um, but what we're not looking at are, are what are the, the material concerns, what are the, especially the ethical concerns around the labor that's creating that project product. And so, um, you know, I, I think the, our culture, consumer culture, you know, it's like we want the bargain, we want the deal, we want the lowest price we can possibly have despite the quality of the product often. And so um, I think the, you know, the, the cost of doing things is the cost of doing things. And, you know, consumers um, need to decide, are they more interested in, in saving pennies or saving the environment? And um, things are, that are quality are going to cost more. And uh, we just have to decide go uh, where we stand. And part of the issue, too, is I don't think we know, and it's part of our message at the BFDA, and we're obviously interested in reducing waste. We care about human beings. But transparency is a, a big piece of, of how we do storytelling and letting people know who made your clothes, who, you know, who made this product, 
how it was made, where it was made, what materials were used, um, you know, whether or not the dyes are toxic dyes or organic dyes, but a full story about the product. And when you start to understand a product um, in that way, you're able to make better choices about what you buy. I think we just don't have enough information to, to justify spending more. Makes a lot of sense because, yeah, it's really hard to find information on any of the more mainstream brands mm-hmm. <laughs> that you find. So. Very much so, yeah. It's yeah. Traceability is, is, uh, is tough for sure. Yeah, so it seems like then maybe the main focus is the storytelling component and how, mm-hmm. to, how to get consumers on board. Um, so I'm going to switch gears a little bit. I want to ask more about the S-Lab, the P-Lab, and the T-Lab, and if you uh-huh. could tell us more about them and, and how they and function. And to be the D-Lab. Oh, we have to tell <laughs> yeah. us more about that, but that one's new to me. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea of the, the BFDA was to create a place where you could sort of stand in the middle and go from idea to uh, um, uh, to prototype, to manufacture, to market in kind of one place and see it all happening. Um, and be able to, uh, you know, walk across the hall and talk to somebody in the S-Lab about how do I make this product more sustainable. We offer consulting services not only to our venture fellows, but to the general product. So you'd go to the S-Lab and and find out more about how do you implement, what what strategies might you implement um, in the product that you're developing. Um, and then walk through a door and end up in the production lab and actually see those things uh, being uh, put into um, action in the creation of the product. Uh, so there's a direct relationship there. So a lot of people, a lot of what we do is work with people on the efficiencies of pattern making. So you're not using as much material as well as sourcing more appropriate material. Um, and then the um, T-Lab and the D-Lab are really focused on the future of fashion. So there's so much technological development going on around the creation of, um, of products in, in manufacturing, as well as the integration of new materials uh, that are uh, have special functionality. Um, and we can talk more about that. But the Q-Lab is really focused on sort of the technological advances that are going on not just in terms of materials, but also in terms of um, production, um, which leads to the D-Lab, which is really about digital technology in relationship to apparel. So it used to be that you, you have your dress form and you buy your, you know, your material and you drape it on the dress form and then you know, it gets handed to a seller and it gets produced. Now we're, instead of measuring somebody, we can body scan them so the information is digital. We can take that into a design platform. So we're draping virtually on a machine using software. That information then goes into a pattern making program where it lays out the pattern more efficiently. We'll continue to be in the digital environment. That gets output to a digital pattern cutter. So instead of hand cutting your pattern, uh, basically a, a, almost like a laser cutter-like machine, although it uses knives, cuts the material, and then it's handed to the sewer. So the, the, the digitalization, essentially, of the process um, is really interesting. And one of our goals at the BFDA is to pr- provide kind of these types of resources, the resources that 
the, the big companies are, are using and heading towards to small independent designers so that they're at the front edge alongside the big companies. And that's what the D-Lab um, will do. That's very exciting. Yeah, I know there's a lot of talk about the, the digital abilities to kind of cut down on, on waste in that mm-hmm. you can do a lot of your sampling and instead of shipping samples back and forth across seas, you can do them Absolutely. digitally like that. So yeah, that's no, really exciting. And for me, it, it, you know, often there's a conflict between people who are interested in sustainability and people who are interested in technology. But, mm-hmm. but there are some really key areas, and, and you've just mentioned one, where there's a tremendous amount of waste reduction uh, that can be accomplished through digitalization. Yeah, and then are there any other, just kind of on that topic of, um, sorry, technology, um, are there any other kind of exciting things you see? I know there's probably a lot of places where you're concerned about sustainability and technology, but are there places where you see them coming together in a really uh, good way? I think, you know, the digitalization is, is one of them. I think, you know, there are people, biotech is creating really interesting materials that will create materials in laboratories rather than on farms. So you have companies like Bolt Threads that are creating uh, like a spider silk. It's a silk inspired by how spiders make silk. Um, And it's uh, microbes essentially become the factory. It's a fermentation process. So much the way you make beer, except now you're making essentially a liquid that can get spun into uh, looks like, acts like silk material. Um, so I think that's really exciting, especially as we start to think about um, other types of fibers like cotton uh, that can be made in closed-loop systems rather than farmed. That's a, That will have huge implications. Um, that's probably 20 years out, I would imagine. Maybe, you know, you never know. Technology suddenly just speeds up like crazy. So maybe it'll be three years out, but I doubt it. You have people who are making leathers. <laughs> in laboratories like Modern Meadows. So there's a whole biotech area. Uh, pigments, people are, are, are growing pigment, um, indigo in petri dishes. So, so there's one area of the technology, I think, is uh, doing really exciting things. And then you have things like blockchain that uh, can really help with traceability um, and really track a fiber from kind of where it was grown to where it was milled to where it was, you know, uh, cut and sewn and and assembled and uh, really track along the way. So it makes transparency, or excuse me, traceability um, more possible. So so I think that's a really exciting thing that's going on. And then all sorts of uh, new fibers, nanofibers that have special functions that can understand and read pressure or um, uh, be infused with vitamins so your clothing will essentially uh, give you your vitamins uh, and uh, or medicines and those sorts of things. So I think there's a lot coming down the pike that will really change our perception of what clothing is. It will add new functionalities that we haven't thought about previously. Yeah, wow, that is really amazing. And it'll be really exciting to see how clothing changes. I think about that a lot. Um, it's been made the same way for so long <laughs> and kind of had the same function for so long. It'll be exciting it's to true. see. And we're right now, we're doing our second round of what we call the Tech Tiles Project, 
and um, people can look more, learn more about it on the website. But what we do every summer is bring together a group of about 15 uh, designers, computer scientists, textile engineers to work together to um, explore um, how we can start integrating these new materials and um, into knit garments, cut and sew garments. We're now starting to work with embroidery and uh, weaving um, to really experiment with what these new functionalities might be. So uh, we're working right now on a glove that is a, a physical therapy glove for people who've had stroke that allows us, it's knit on our knitting machine, but it, it allows us, uh, it allows a user, imagine an, an elder person who's had a stroke, who they need to do a lot of hand-to-eye uh, coordination exercises and the, the glove um, essentially hooks up to the internet and Bluetooth to your physical therapist so you can work with your physical therapist remotely on you know, touching your thumb to your first finger, your third finger, your fourth finger kind of in rapid succession, you know, it's something that can be gamified and, and really sort of in, incentivized, essentially, doing the exercises um, without necessarily having to go to the physical therapist in person, which uh, a lot of people who are seeing physical therapists have mobility issues. And, um, and so it, it allows for kind of a new relationship with your physical therapist. And that's wow. using materials that are, you know, sensitive to um, kind of where your fingers are in space and how close they are to touching, those kinds of things. It's really exciting. That's just one of probably 12 projects that we're working on right now. So I'd love to hear, like, as you got things set up at the BFDA, and as I guess it is, is it evolved, um, were there any major challenges that you came across and overcame? <laughs> Uh, well, I think um, <laughs> I think the challenges came before we perhaps opened up in convincing people that this was something worth pursuing and doing. Um, it was it's a big vision. It's a very systems approach. So when people said, "Oh, you want to do the P lab and the S lab and the T lab and the D lab and entrepreneurs and events and programming," it's just too big. I my sense was no that it was all you know, all about sustainability and, and having a system in place rather than a silo in place uh, was a hard thing to, to convince people to do. Once, as you have, you walk in, it all makes complete sense what we're doing. And you, you wouldn't, you don't even think, oh, we're doing too much. It's mm -hmm. just, oh, my God, everything's here. This is brilliant. And so I think I think that was a big challenge and just the persistence of, of getting that. Um, getting the vision essentially realized. We still, you know, on kind of a day-to-day -day basis, you know, the we're, we're, we have a certain amount of runway with Pratt, but at some point we have to be self-sustaining. So, you know, getting operation budget money in place is one of the things I focus a lot on. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's a challenge that any uh, startup has. Is, is, you know, making sure you've got operations capital. Um, yeah, I, I was hoping to ask a little bit more about that. Like, um, sure. I assume you got some initial startup funds, but how are you hoping to, to sustain it financially as it goes forward? So our venture fellows and our research fellows pay fees for being in the space and for men mentorship. That's one of our revenue streams. 
We do educational programs, and that's another. Well, production facility is another revenue stream. Uh, you know, the, the and the consulting services um, is a revenue stream. We work with a lot of large companies and small companies um, developing uh, a, a company's uh, uh, just a, a common language within a company around sustainability. So those are the the main revenue streams. Um, from our activities, and then we are, we're applying for grants. Uh, we've gotten the federal grant to do the textiles project. We've gotten funding from the Brooklyn Borough President, um, both uh, Marty Markowitz and uh, um, Eric Adams, uh, to help build out and equip our facility. The state, state has supported us with an incubator grant that's helped with operations as well as the build out of the space. So. Yeah, it's a it's a constant uh, sort of quest for funding from I think sources that should be supporting us. I mean, we're very focused on the development of our local economy in a sustainable way, and so you know the state, the city, the the U.S. government should be um, supporting the work that we're trying to do in in putting out these young companies that um, are focused on creating sustainable products um, as they scale um, those businesses, the, what I would call the right type of businesses, go out there and succeed. Yeah, that's great to hear. So I, I liked that you talked about creating jobs in the local economy and, and, stimulating, mm -hmm. and stimulating that. And I'm curious if you see this as a model that could work in other places. And I ask this somewhat selfishly as someone who <laughs> would love to see one in Minnesota. Sure. Um, but I'm, and I clearly wouldn't be able to be the same because yours um, definitely meets the needs of your community. But I was curious about your thoughts about that. Right. I think it, it's definitely a replicable model. It's uh, the the big issue really is finding uh, the revenue sources. Uh, Pratt has been incredibly generous, um, helping us get through uh, and getting us through the the next um, five years as we develop and grow. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, but it's uh, you have to be in it for the long haul. You have to realize that it. Is, is especially when you're looking at the apparel industry, um, it'll be interesting to watch as we develop technology how that changes. But most accelerators, most venture capitalists are interested in kind of tech companies that are going to turn around and, and grow fast. And the apparel business is, is not that kind of business. Um, it's a mm -hmm. tough business. You're creating, not creating apps or software that kind of doesn't have gravity or you're creating something that can be sent over the internet and your product lands on somebody's computer or cell phone, um, you know, you're making real product and that, uh, you know, that has its own um, issues for sure. So, um, mm -hmm. yeah, but I think it's, it's being, you know, willing to hang in there for the long time, for the long term, and then also, you know, this commitment to your values. You know, and, and I think that's, that can be really hard. It's much easier to ditch your values and go bring in some money quickly versus really holding your values dear and insisting mm -hmm. on doing things in a very particular, thoughtful way. That's really inspiring. Um, do you have any advice for, you, you talked a lot about convincing funders about the systems approach. And um, I'm curious kind of how, if you had any tips for how you might have gone about that. 
Um, you know, I just think I was determined and wasn't, <laughs> you know, I knew, I really understood it. And so, uh, mm-hmm. what I did, the, the, what I did basically is create graphics that made people oh. understand it. So I wasn't trying to tell people in words, um, but I was, mm-hmm. I was, I was able to, to create graphics that were convincing about how the system works. Um, and then it was just, uh, you know, sure course of well <laughs> it probably would have been a whole lot easier but it it wouldn't have the impact that it has now of, of this again this this place where you can go and stand in the middle of it as I was saying before and go from idea to prototype to manufacture to market and and just sort of in a very connected way yeah I love that because I think a big barrier to sustainability is just not like you said not having all those resources so i love that you just went big and were determined to -hmm. make that available because uh, like you said i don't i don't know that it would succeed otherwise (laughs) so that's that's really inspiring um so i do have one question about your association with the the pratt institute i know that the majority of your venture fellows aren't necessarily from pratt or graduates of pratt so i'm curious Mm -hmm. what the advantage of that association offers to uh people who come and work with the BFDA? Well, I think what, you know, the, the, uh, you know, Pratt is filled with amazing designers and, and uh, uh, really smart people. And it's a great resource for us. And I love the Institute, the, um, and, and what it offers the world, but not all the great ideas are going to come from one place. And I'm a real believer in this idea of um, highly collaborative, um, cross-sector kind of teams working together so that you have people who think about things differently to bring together people who come from different backgrounds, different knowledge sets, um, because then you get a really robust uh, 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 group of people that can really help each other grow and, and develop rather than everybody coming from one perspective it's, you know, how, how can we make the, you know, most sort of rich uh, knowledge-wise set of people, how can we bring those people together to work together and help each other succeed? And so that means for me bringing, the, like, the Tactiles Project, right now we have people from eight different schools working together. Um, and they, the people, they're all students, they get to learn about how these other schools think and do and they build their network um, and when they leave this project you know they leave with you know connections to people who can do things that perhaps they can't do but want to do so I'm not a computer scientist I'm a designer um, but you know I meet people from computer science and as I'm developing a new product I can tap those people for ideas and they can help me achieve what I'm trying to achieve and again, it goes back to that systems approach. It's how, you know, can we get everybody kind of in the room together at the same time, and each each informing and helping um, one another's projects? Well, that's really great. It's all about building community around definitely issues. So I guess that leads to my last question, which is how can people get involved at the BFDA, either as an entrepreneur or are there opportunities for community members who are interested in what you do? Sure, it's it's easy. I mean, we have a, a great website that that really 
um, can lead you through kind of all the various things that we're doing. Um, it's bkaccelerator.com. I always joke, Burger King Accelerator.com. That's how you remember. <laughs> and um, the uh, we have you can apply to become uh, one of our venture fellows if you're interested in becoming a, an entrepreneur member of our community. We do have memberships as well if you want to become uh, a member of the community, but you don't necessarily need a studio space or a mentorship. There's an application to become a research fellow. I think what we are asking is that anyone who does become part of our community or if you want to become part of our community, you have to have a strong set of aligned values. The environment, um, humanity, those things need to be um, something that's really important to you. Not that you've achieved it already. We don't expect people to come in already sustainable. We just expect people to come in really wanting to accomplish that as part of their company. And uh, and then we have tons of events. We have a huge award ceremony. Um, you're all invited. Uh, I think it's November 14th this year. It's called the Positive Impact Awards, where we welcome the public in. We usually get about 700 people to the event. All of our companies set up pop-up shops. They can meet the designer, buy their products. Um, meet people. We give rewards out to people who've inspired us over the year, over the year, and uh, and just learn more about sustainability and, and become part of this network because it's a huge and growing network, and uh, it's really, I think, exciting when you're not just creating a business but you're doing good for the world. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Deb, for speaking with me today. It was really inspiring to hear about the, your journey and the, the BFDA's journey and all the things that you offer, are offering the world. <laughs> so thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to share it. And um, again, we have public tours on every other Thursday. So um, feel free to come by or you know, check out, see what events are going on. People are always welcome. You can learn more about BFDA, including tour information, by visiting bkaccelerator.org. Join us for the next episode of the Impact Report on Friday, November 2nd, when we'll be speaking with Hunter Lovins, president and founder of Natural Capital Solutions and author of A Finer Future, Creating an Economy in Service to Life. For our complete lineup and other news, visit us at impactreportpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. The Bard MBA in Sustainability is one of a select few graduate programs globally that fully integrates sustainability into a core business curriculum. Learn more at mba.bard.edu.